Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, where, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. And hello, um, this is 3CR 855am, um, the Doing Time Show. I'm Peter and Marissa's here too. Yep, and welcome to Summer Programming. Um, summer Programming hasn't finished just yet, but the Doing Time Show has ch- um, chosen to come back. Uh, earlier, and it's approximately four o'clock, and it, this is 3CR, as Peter said, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. First up on the show, we're going to be speaking with Ken Canning, who is a very much well-loved member of ISJA, and he has done a lot of work um, in Sydney with um, Indigenous peoples, and Ken is going to be speaking about Aboriginal, guests, uh, death, a- Aboriginal deaths in custody. And specifically speaking about the Dungay family, um, there was a, a young Aboriginal man who, who died and there was a, a rally. This particular man died in custody in New South Wales two years ago. So this particular rally that Ken is going to be talking about is marking his second anniversary of his death and they've gone, the family has gone to the gates of the prison. And this was uh, some weeks ago now, and have confronted guards um, outside the former prison on the second anniversary of his death. And I'll just give a little bit of a short summary. The 26-year-old diabetic was three weeks away from being released on parole when he was restrained and died in Sydney's Long Bay Prison Hospital in 2015 because he refused to stop eating biscuits. His grieving family is now waiting for an inquest into the matter, which will be held in July 2018. So we're hoping to speak to Ken about that and talk about what's going to happen with the inquest. And then, um, second on the show, we'll be speaking with Cot, uh, who is from the Sudanese Association of Victoria. And we're going to be speaking about a very interesting co- a topic. There's been a lot of media coverage about Victoria and about how there have been some home invasions and crimes and we have um, actually discussed this extensively over the last year or so. However, it appears that the Turnbull government, Malcolm Turnbull specifically, has been scapegoating the Sudanese and saying that, uh, that there are gangs in Victoria and that they're mostly the people that are committing the crimes. So we're going to be speaking with, um, with, Sto- with um, Stott about that. Cot. Cot, sorry, with Cot about that um, at 4.30. So, yeah, I, did you want to go into some musical announcement, Peter, until, while we line up that interview? I'll just go into a song. And you're with Freesia, just waiting for that song to fade away. Um, and what song was that? Oh, sorry. Um, waiting for the Great Leap Forward by Billy Bray. And on the line, we've got Ken, Ken from the, from, yeah. from Istra. How are you, Ken? Hi, Ken. Good, thanks. I was uh, just having a bit of reception problems with my phone, but fine now. Oh, yeah, yeah the delights of mobile phones, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't Vodafone by any chance, was it? <laughs> 
No, it's with Telstra and uh, <laughs> leaves a bad, bad spot for Telstra. That's yeah. all right. It's all the same. Yeah. Ken, yeah. well, I was just talking on air about what happened about the, the second anniversary of, of Mr. Dungai, um, the Aboriginal yeah. death in custody. Can you just um, let listeners know what's happened and give us a little bit of background and talk a little bit about the rally? What's his name? I was uh, David Dungay Jr. Here. Yeah. That's it, David yeah. Dungay Jr. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what what what's happening with him at the moment? What and what happened with the death well, in custody? Well, there, there won't be a coronary inquiry, would you believe, until late uh, till mid June, mid to late July. Sorry, uh, 2018. This will be some two and a half years after his killing, and uh, you know this is not good enough. The the, the whole thing is this. There's also been uh, video footage that the family have seen. Some of it's gone missing. He was also removed from one cell where they had video footage, and in the cell where he actually died, there was no CCTV. Um, but you could see on the way through there, there was a um, there was a lot of uh, terrible things that the family had to witness on the CCTV footage. So, you know, typical corrective services drag it out until the public forgets about it. Yes. and have some of the uh, relevant information go missing. Mm. Uh, and, and how uh, did that go this, missing, this is, this is another. This is another damning reason why there has to be totally yeah. uh, independent inquiries. We can't have prison officers or even police investigating prison officers. They belong to the, the same club. Yes. We have yeah. to have some legal minds in there. We have to have Aboriginal people in there on the inquiry to ask the relevant questions. How do you th- what what hap- How did the footage actually go missing? Where was it discovered missing? Well, they, they won't they, they won't make any statement. But uh, now the um, uh, Latona David's mother was viewing it with family members, and there's some you know, some of the younger ones are very cluey um, with uh, technology, and they saw that the the time, the numbers, and that didn't didn't match up to the footage they were watching. Oh. So there was some of it. Uh, a large chunk had gone gone out of there, so you know that that was one way. Because I mean, what they had to see in the first place really distressed them. Um, you could imagine they saw the last seconds of the last minutes of their son, uh, her son's death. It really distressed her. But um, you know, to know that the, there's actually uh, stuff missing, and when asked, corrective services said, you know they've no comment. They don't know anything about it. They don't know what's happened. Uh, the usual stonewalling rubbish answers, you know. Personally, I think both the commissioner and the uh, minister should go. They should be. They should be gone. Yeah. Um, the the ones the ones responsible, uh, who were in the hierarchy when it happened, the officers who were there when it happened, should not be working at the moment. They should be stood down. Uh, David Tubridge, um, the Greens MP in um, member of Parliament in uh, New South Wales. He's called for, he, he said, uh, he has said all along, if they would have treated any deaths in custody as a murder or manslaughter inquiry, the evidence gathering would be far different. But what they do now is they just gather information for the coronal inquiry, which is a far different um, set of inquiries to a murder or manslaughter investigation. If it was a murder and manslaughter investigation, the officers would have to be uh, separated, questioned, and if there's any abnormalities in their statement, there'd be charges laid. But just gathering information is a laxity day as a way of, uh, you know, do it when you can. You know, the, the, it's not going to happen for a long time. So um, it's a, it's a, almost a haphazard um, approach to finding out what happened. By the time it gets to two and a half years later, it gets to a coronal inquiry. Well, already we see this stuff gone missing. What, what, what's going to happen by the time it gets the inquiry? Yeah, so um, I'm very, I'm very yeah. concerned about any any death in custody that's yeah. not treated as a, a suspicious killing. Mm. If it was, mm. if if the investigation went under the parameters that it was a suspicious killing, it'd be there'd be a far different set of evidence come out. Yes. Yeah, we've got to get to that stage where. You know, society starts uh, looking at suspicious deaths in that manner that we uh, that we just uh, we just spoke of it there. 
in quarry types of different uh, different framework, but still uh, there has to be an independent body in all inquiries with yeah. Aboriginal deaths in custody. The fact remains, in 230 years, not one prison officer, one not one policeman has been found guilty of the death of an Aboriginal person. That's an alarming fact in any society. Like with Lex Watton, Ken. Sorry? Like what happened with Lex Ken back? Hello, Ken. Yep. Oh. Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's funny okay. Old friend of mine. Look, yeah. you, you've, you've covered some really important points, and those being um, in regards to the CT footage um, yeah, suspiciously going missing, and with Mr. Dungai, yeah. you know. And dying quite quite tragically, really, um, and we and police investigating police, and the question that I was I was well it was a comment and question I wanted to ask you, like you were just talking about how police haven't been acquitted, um, like uh, sorry, not acquitted, police haven't been charged, have they? Yeah. With well, one's been charged that I know that was Detective Hurley in uh, mm. in Queensland, uh, the Mr. Dumaji death, but he was found not guilty. Yeah, he was acquitted. After that, despite despite evidence to the contrary, he was acquitted. Yeah. Exactly, so, and I had mentioned Lex Watton and Cameron Damudji and that particular yeah. um, thing, yep. that, and I don't think you heard me, but that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so what can we do? What can we do as a community to to try and and change this? Well, I think Australia's got to get outraged. It's got to get really outraged. To, to date, there's not enough outrage about the whole thing of um, what I call murders in custody. There's, there's not enough outrage. When we have rallies in the street, we don't nearly draw the numbers, but we get people going to the streets for a whole lot of variety of reasons, and you'll get them going in thousands. But uh, I think people put this in the too hard basket. And, um, you know, the families, we, we uh, issue deals with the families, and... Um, you know, we're dealing face-to-face with the families, and they're absolutely shattered. They're shattered, but they are hopefully, even with uh, David's rally, it was at an awkward time, one on the 22nd outside corrective services, one on the 29th outside Long Bay Jail, both attracted about 60 people. But, you know, you see rallies for all sorts of other things. We're still worthwhile causes, yeah. but we're not getting the same numbers. So I say Australia's got to wake up and get outraged. Our people are being murdered legally by the state and nobody is ever held accountable for it yeah. nobody if it happened to any other group of people in this country there'd be outrage that, it, and absolutely. that's what people have to do there yeah. has to be outrage we've got invasion day coming up now i don't know what's happening down there but here in sydney we will have some of the families speaking at the rallies because they want to they requested to speak at the rallies because there'll be large numbers of people there Good. they want to talk about these murders as part of the ongoing invasion of this country. And until they stop, till the murders stop, this country can't call itself uh, a country that is fair to anybody because the First Nations people are being killed off. I That's think right. nationally since, since June 2016, we've had 16 deaths. Atrocious. Unnecessary deaths. That, that's a tragedy. Could you imagine if that happened to 16 uh, white people ah. with no explanation? And some of the evidence we've been able to gather through lawyers and things like that is it points straight to, uh, to killings, to murders. If you look at um, Eric Whittaker's family, they had to witness their son on life support, technically dead, chained to the bed, and the screws, the prison officers would not allow the shackles on his ankles to be taken off. The man was technically dead. The family has to live with that horror. And this is something that Australia does not know. It's actually uh, put in one of the newspapers here at long last. Some of the news is starting to get out. But by and large, Australians don't know what's happening. They need to know and they need need to get angry about it. And look at what happened with Peter Clark, Ken. Yes, yes. He was in the hospital? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) shackled and it's you know if you look at the David Dungo case he screamed 13 times I cannot breathe I cannot breathe I cannot breathe they had him in a stranglehold the answers they gave him was if you can talk you can breathe now as bad as the Northern Territory is when somebody is being held in a prison in any form of custody as soon as they scream out I cannot breathe all officers, whether they're police or prison officers, have to stop what they're doing immediately and tend to the person's health needs. 
and that's as bad as the Northern Territory is. So, in actual fact, the, the Dungay family now, if their son was locked up in Northern Territory, he'd be alive today. And that's, you know, that's under the occupation of the intervention. And that's under one of the most racist regimes that this country has seen. But the fact remains, as soon as somebody yells that out, they have to cease what they're doing and check on their health. In New South Wales, they did not cease. As a matter of fact, he was heard to call out, what are you doing? I am not resisting. He told them to let him go. He said, I'm not resisting. The disgusting thing was David Dungay suffered from blood sugar level uh, problems. His blood sugar had hit a low. He was allowed to keep biscuits in his cell to have them to get his blood sugar levels up again. Uh, he was eating biscuits and the screws wanted those biscuits. What? And his death is over a packet of biscuits. The screws the wanted the biscuits? They, want, they, they wanted him to stop eating the biscuits. He was eating them because, uh, to get his blood, blood yeah, sugar levels yeah, back up. Yeah. And they didn't want that. He was in the Long Bay Hospital. He was already in hospital. Now, you know, over a packet of biscuits, we've got a whole family grieving because these callous, murderous officers wanted to take the biscuits off him. So it turned into eight of them putting him in knees in the back, strangle holes, and then they hit him with a, a strong sedative, which the name escapes me now. 90 seconds later, he's dead. All because of so a packet of biscuits. It's over a packet of biscuits where he was maintaining his own health. You know, which, you know, that, that was the permission he had. That's why he was allowed to ha keep the biscuits. He was maintaining his, if he has a low sugar drop, which my wife does. So yeah. I keep treacle in the fridge. When I, when she drops, I put a big spoon of treacle in the mouth to get the levels back up. He had biscuits. Just to and clarify, just to clarify, Ken, so, so David Dungay was actually... Three weeks away from being released on parole, wasn't he? I wonder if that had anything three, to do with it. Three weeks? Well, it seems quite funny because the um, latest killing of Tane um, Chatfield in Tamworth Jail, he'd been held for two years on remand with no evidence. There, there was no witnesses to say that he committed the crime he did. And his lawyer had said to the family, he's going to trial this week, he'll be out before the end of the week, there's no evidence. Lawyers don't normally tell you that unless they're 100% sure. So they made it known. They told the young fellow he, he had a visit from his mother on the weekend, said, I'm coming home. He even told her what shirt he wanted to wear out of the jail. He was on the eve of getting out when he was killed. Well, they said he hanged himself. So here's a man who spent two years fighting the justice system, has got word from his lawyer he's going to finally beat the charges and walk free. And they they try to convince you he hanged himself, but the family of photos that he has bruises from head to toe. So that he's was cut that. Lips, he's got yeah. flesh under his fingernail. Was that flesh resolved? Skin under his, pardon, was sorry? that resolved, Ken? No, no, that's uh, that, that's uh, that that's going to uh, wait for another coronal inquiry, which we we would imagine will take another two years to happen. It, it's, it's it's absolutely, absolutely disgusting. disgusting. Yeah, it's it's disgusting, Ken, and and in fact, um, we've actually got someone another interview very soon. But I I wanted to to just ask you, in regards to the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody, how do you think that um, in this particular situation, how do you think the guards, the justice system, and the hospital broke those recommendations? Oh, look, if you went through them, they probably broke they probably broke two dozen of them, you know. Uh, Again, uh, it's implemented in the Northern Territory. If somebody says, I can't breathe, you've got to cease and resist what you're doing immediately. That, that's that's right. something that, came, that, that comes straight out of the Royal Commission. So that one alone, yes, that one alone um, would have saved his life. There's a whole other issue, the, the issue of the biscuit. He was, uh, you know, diabetic. health and safety. He, he was allowed, he, was per, he had permission to have those biscuits. So the screws themselves made the decision they would take them off him. They provoked, so there's a whole... And to take him out of a cell that had CCTV into the cell he died that had no CCTV was flew in the face of all recommendations in the Royal Commission. Flew right in the yeah, face. Yeah. So, they, you know, you could pick any number they've breached. 
my my wonder is, and I don't want to digress off the subject, but you know, it's coming. The subject's coming up and up and up more and more often about treaty this yeah. treaty that. Well, that's not. I really do not want right. to sign a treaty with a bunch of murderers. Mm-hmm. I don't don't even want to look at a treaty while you've got people murdering our people. Mm. And I know there are good intended people who want to have a treaty. They have it for probably the right sure. reason. But my individual thought is while our people are being murdered by the state, I don't want to look at a treaty. They've got to stop killing us first before we could even talk to them. Well, we have to fix things. We've got to be able to really look at the Invasion Day um, issues as well. I mean, in yeah. Victoria alone, you've got, um, you know, the government, the, the federal government that's trying to um, monopolise and, and stop, um, you know, the, how they, the councils didn't want the ceremonies mm. anymore, the, the citizenship ceremonies. Yeah. And the Turnbull government got upset about that. You know, well, they didn't want know, them on Australia Day. So-called I mean, Australia term, Day. There's something intrinsically wrong. There's something really intrinsically wrong with Turnbull. Is, um, oh. I was looking at uh, some of his uh, statements when some uh, statues of um, Cook and uh, Macquarie got graffitied here in Sydney and he called it Stalinist-like behaviour. He named it Stalinist-like behaviour. I mean, that's absolutely ridiculous. Yet he didn't mention anything about the atrocious amount of deaths in custody. Nor did he mention, nor has anybody mentioned that when the late Eddie Marbo's uh, uh, grave site was painted with uh, racist words and swastikas, nobody mentioned that from our political spectrum. That's uh, there was exactly a doctor right. on that recently. So not one of them, not one of those gutless politicians got up and stood up for the... Uh, the family of the late Eddie Marbo when, when his uh, burial site was desecrated, but they go all stupid yeah. over a couple of lost people, lost white people, who accidentally got into this country. It's all connected, Ken. It's, look, it is. It's, and so, it's all you know, connected. He, he doesn't, look, Turnbull doesn't even know his own history. The, the guy, I've said it before and I'll say it again, he's either brain dead or he's on drugs. Well, he should put himself into rehab <laughs> and get a life. Seriously, this man is walking around with that idiotic grin on his face. I swear he's stoned because he doesn't know what he's talking about. To make that ludicrous statement, this is Stalinist life behaviour. By the way, under the Stalinist revolution, there were tens of thousands of people killed. Here we had a couple of kids. I don't even know whether they were kids. A couple of people graffitied some statues and he, and he makes a comparison. I know. I mean, this guy's got to be a total moron. It's it's um, it's a bit crazy. And, you know, Ken, we, we, we'll have you back pretty soon, actually, because I wanted to chat to you a little bit more about that. Um, but pretty soon we're mm. going to be going on to our next interview. But thank you so much, Ken, for Thanks coming onto the show. It was lovely to have you. Yeah, it's great to have and you. And no apologies to Malcolm Nider. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, Brian. <laughs> oh, dear. Thanks yeah, so much. Okay. Thank, thank you. you. Take Bye. care. Bye. 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 And that was Ken Cannings um, from the Indigenous um, Social Justice Association in Sydney. Uh, speaking about Aboriginal deaths in custody and looking at the latest, one of the latest deaths in custody, Mr David Dungay and his unfortunate and tragic death. So watch that space. We'll just go to an announcement now. Yep. 3CR is a community radio licence holder. What you hear on community radio is governed by the community radio codes of practice. The codes of practice cover matters relating to program content, including local content, news, current affairs, Australian music, programs for children and the responsibilities associated with broadcasting by and for the community. They also cover aspects such as community access and participation in the operation of this station. Copies of the code are available from the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash who we are. And you're listening to the Doin' Time Show, 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. And we're going to be speaking next with... Um, it's online now. Yep, that's good, with, with Stott, who's... Um, Cot, sorry, from the Sudanese um, Association of Victoria. My apologies for that. Hi, Cot. Yes, good day. Yes, yeah, oh. so, sorry, Cot, about the mis- mispronunciation of your name. That's okay. Okay, any corrections you want to make for that before we go on? 
it is Kot Monal. Uh, I'm the Beautiful. chairperson of the Star Students from India Association in Victoria Incorporated. That's lovely. Thank you very much for the introduction. Now, I'm wondering, um, we have heard some excellent interviews on the ABC and on various media, media outlets with you and Richard, and I was really impressed, which is why Peter and I have invited you onto the show. And before we actually go on to the interview, I just wanted to just let you know that the Do and Time show looks at prisons, refugees, and looks at Aboriginal deaths in custody. And we are particularly... Um, focused on working with people from minority groups and people who are persecuted. So um, I just wanted to give you a little bit of background about what we do. Thank you very much for the briefing. No, that's great. So I'm wondering now, the Turnbull government is using um, the Sudanese community as a political football, and I believe that there's been a few home invasions and a few crimes, and we have to feel sorry for the victims. I'm not saying that. Um, and that's been happening in Victoria. But apparently the Turnbull government has been demonising these young people and saying that there are youth gangs. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, thank you very much for inviting me on the 3CR radio. Uh, the issues that are affecting uh, young people within South Sudanese community largely and probably maybe uh, some other Eastern African countries uh, I wouldn't describe them as gang, and no, that is no. not reluctance on my part. And it is simply because I am on the ground and those facts. I'm not unlike Tenbull or Dutton, who are in Canberra, not in Melbourne, uh, and nowhere near the community. Uh, I can speak from the facts. Uh, yes, uh, in fact, there are uh, young people in a court, a number of young people who have done home invasions, and we uh, sympathize with the victims of those offending. But what the uh, federal government need to understand is, is that the root causes of young people's uh, issues rest on uh, drugs and alcohol. They rest on uh, a lot of uh, unemployment services and young people have too much time to their own and then falling through uh, tracks of fear influence and fear pressures. And then at the same time, uh, dropping out of school and time and time over, we have often prior to advocate, including uh, in February this year, we provided submissions to the Federal uh, Settlement Inquiry into migrant user settlement experiences, and uh, nothing has come out of that except that they are looking at lowering the deportation age to 16 rather than trying to pump in a number of resources to try and uh, support these young people and get them off uh, such sort of life and intervene with any intervention. Method. So we think this is politically motivated. One is we have state elections coming up mm. uh, in November this year. We have an election coming up. And this is not the first time. Uh, the first time it was done was done by Kevin Andrews when uh, a South Sudanese young man was murdered in Noble Park in 2007. Uh, Kevin Andrews went public and said, Sudanese are the problem. They're not integrating, which is pretty much what that and the Tenbul are doing. That is a repetition of the history, and often uh, they ignore the basic facts that as federal leaders and national leaders of the country, they have a bigger responsibility to play, and instead of looking at the issues at, at the lenses of race, they should actually be looking at practical methods to try and address, because they have resources necessary to uh, address these issues. On the second note, we're realizing that a lot of young people who are causing these sorts of issues are actually born here, so they know that they will never be deported. Mm. And, uh, and you know, Dutton can never do anything because they are Australian citizens by birth, or some of them have already acquired Australian citizenship through the parents or guardians. So a lot that we meet on the street say that, look, uh, I can do what I do, but I'll never be deported. So what Dutton is saying does not make sense to me, unless it is actually going to deport Australian citizens who are black South Sudanese people in that regard, then obviously he might be correct if he is asserting that view. So these are disillusioned, out-of-touch young people significantly affected by drugs and alcohol and are falling through influence of fear pressure, disengaged, no employment, and there are a number of them, and often when they are moving together, they mislead themselves. They just need one or two or three misleading the, uh, the whole cohort of group, which would be six or seven or eight or more than that, and then they just end up doing wrong things. I'm wondering, though, 
and perhaps you can you can help with this. Isn't it true though that it's also white people that that are committing these crimes? I mean, it it appears that it looks as if um, the government's saying it's just Sudanese people, but there's white people yeah. committing these crimes as well. There are a lot well. of white people. Over the weekend, there was uh, a group of uh, white Caucasian young people of 100 plus in Turkey or yeah. uh, 100 MPH, and this was covered by ABC, but you would never hear on a headline whether there were uh, white Caucasian uh, young people. So it is a little word. What happened, uh, obviously, is that when there is a small incident, it is magnified uh, by the media, and often race seem to be one of the cards. And I think for many people who have lived in Australia and know the history, and this history speaks for itself. We know, for example, if these are Aborigines or Black African or South Sudanese, we tend to think that they are the problem. But if it is a crime committed by other accepted race or white Caucasian young people, we think and tend to describe them as young people and probably maybe just don't give it the headline that is necessary, necessarily given to the headline committed by young people. Uh, the other important point that I want to make is the crime data is out in the public, and the crime data does show that a lot of young people who commit the most crimes are actually Australian-born, and uh, that is not to say that all those Australian-born are South Sudanese. The majority of them would be from mainstream communities, probably maybe white uh, Anglo-Caucasian communities. And they ignore that basic fact and shift the blame on race. Yeah. So like, um, racial profiling, basically. It is racial profiling if you look at it, because if you single out a tiny community uh, yeah. with very, very small number of population in the Australian society or Victorian community, and not only that, there are very, very many vast number of Sudanese who are law-abiding, very good, and so is it the same with East African or uh, African community. If you take the percentage of young people, in fact, you can look at the crime data. I've had a privilege of looking at, at the parole board, uh, the Park Bill, Munsbury uh, report, and the parole board look at the record. Let's say, for example, if there were 56 young people that were charged, yes, maybe 20 or 20 plus or 30 plus would be positive. If you calculate obviously on face value, you would take it that uh, 40% would be from Eastern African countries, but that 40% would be reflective of the number of young people committing offences and lock up at the juvenile detention. Equally the same, uh, if you look at 30 plus or 40 and a bit, it is not reflective of a community that is probably more than 45,000 in the Victorian community, for example, based on uh, you know bureau statistics, which was recently done. So it is a tiny drop. You look at the other crime and the other number of population of the anglo celtic background who are committing similar offences, none of it appears in the media as yeah. much as it is covered. That's true. And clearly there's, there's a big problem with um, debate and political leadership in this country. Big, big one. You wouldn't imagine for a moment that a leader who should be focusing on national uh, uh, issues like Mr. Malcolm Temple would law his standard so much uh, that he would uh, fall into these sorts of better uh, law debate rather than, uh, you know, obviously, and I think Richard was quite right in saying that he should man up, you know, in, in a sense to say that, you know, he should uh, surely try to approach it, uh, you know, as a leader trying to find solutions rather than pointing fingers at the state government. When the state government is doing the better best it can by investing resources to find employment pathways for young people, to find interventions. And, and there are, for example, the state government has provided funding uh, to a number of African community uh, groups to find employment opportunities for young people, help them with career pathways, help them with you know, CV writing, mentoring skills, and not only African communities, there is significant, significant millions of dollars that have been pumped into the not-for-profit sector, which are run and managed by Anglo or any other uh, racial uh, groups, and who are there and have probably been providing services for the last 20, 30, or 40 years. And this funding is coming from the state government full of funding to address the issues. That's a mature way of addressing things, rather than a federal leader coming out to say state government has failed, and practically speaking, 
they don't have an investment on the ground that they are doing or have invested to try and address the issue by uh, either, you know, trying to find ways that will address the issues or the root causes of the young people's behaviour. Last October, I believe that there was a county court judge and he was also chair of the Youth Parole Board, I believe it was Michael Burke, that he was um, expressing serious concerns about the over-representation of teens from East Africa, mostly Sudan, in youth justice. Why is that? Uh, Michael Burke, uh, fortunately, has also written an article, and I think it is on ABC website, and it is as current as for a few days old as of now. In fact, his views are that he expresses concern, but he also says that uh, it is not as Malcolm Turnbull always states it, or as Peter Dutton is trying to scare monger uh, the Australian uh, community or Victorian community. Uh, his concerns are that, yes, uh, there is a 40%, uh, 40% number of young people from Eastern African backgrounds who are caught up in the justice system, or have the privilege of reading, uh, reading the parole board report. And as I said earlier on, uh, the 40%, for example, would be an equivalent of 30 plus or 40 plus of number of young people in detention. And his concerns are that there has to be ways to try and rehabilitate these young people. And in fact, the government has moved on to try and uh, improve, I mean, and legislate tougher laws like you know, tougher curfews. And uh, if young people breach, obviously, then that means that they'll be detained in detention and trying also, when we are in the community, setting up services to try and rehabilitate them uh, much more and getting the community involved. And I think those are the concerns because his concerns are around the rate of recidivism whereby young people often get in, get out, reoffend, get in, get out. And, and he is of the view that these sorts of reoffending has got to be minimized or uh, there has to be significant resources to bring a form an intervention that would put it to an end. It's approximately 4.43 and uh, you're, you're listening to an interview um, about about many issues in regards to racial profiling and, and other issues. And certainly I, I want to make it clear again that I am not saying that crime should, shouldn't be... Like this, the crimes are not excused, are they? Like we, we do feel very sorry for the victims, isn't it? Exactly. We, we sympathise and feel sorry for the victims and in fact acknowledge the very fact that there are victims of home burglaries, carjacking, uh, assaults. But it is uh, equally the same, just like it has been in this country, that those sorts of crimes have existed and have been committed by all people of all races. Yeah. Crime has no colour. Uh, the old debate should be around punishing the offenders you know, in the toughest way possible so that the victims can get justice, but without shifting it to race and saying that if you are a, a black person or if you are an African person or if you are a South Sudanese or Eastern African person, mm. then your child or yourself or your color of skin is prone to committing crime. There's nothing like that. Absolutely. And, and in fact, we have made it our business on the Doing Time show to talk about long-term programs and to encourage the government to um, to actually deviate their spending and put it into programs rather than prisons and communities rather than prisons. Exactly. A lot of young people have long-term prospect of being rehabilitated and uh, I think you know, they have to just try to, obviously, those that can never be rehabilitated you know, prison obviously is the only way uh, to get them to do time. Those vast majority that can benefit from any intervention is to set those programs up rather than funding cuts or ignoring the issues. And when we have reached this climate, you then shift the blame politically or blame it on race. And the federal government knows very well that a lot of the failures have rested and vested heavily on the federal government funding cut over the years. You know, the settlement of the migrants uh, is a responsibility of the federal government. And when new migrants are being resettled, there was very limited support. Sometimes it can be extended up to five years by the time you try to narrow and navigate what could you get. You know, within five years, everything has dried up. It has gotten even worse over time. And all these cuts 
have meant that a lot of people are falling through the cracks and they're not getting the support necessary for them to get integrated. And I think those failures should be reflected very well in the federal government policy or policies rather than trying to now say, well, it is the state government that has failed or it is the southern community or the black African community that has failed. Absolutely. And the associate, the Victorians, um, Victorian Sudanese Association of Victoria, can you briefly um, just talk about some of the work that you do? Uh, we do a bad number of work. Our work involves working with other not-for-profit uh, communities, groups, uh, including the likes of, for example, the eHealth MyCare, uh, CMY, and there are lots of other uh, not-for-profit bodies. Uh, the other work that we do is involve working with the government. Uh, the other work is also with a lot of business groups to try and run uh, programs. The programs we run is, one, we run uh, what we call Empower Youth Program, servicing uh, up to young, 50 young people to help them find employment. Uh, and these are young people who have been in contact with the justice system and from the age of uh, 14 to 24. Uh, and we have a youth worker that often... Uh, work with young people to try and support them through cultural engagement mm. activities, you know, dancing and intergenerational uh, discussions and mentoring with elders and other community volunteers, uh, helping them uh, into employment pathways, and at the same time uh, liaising with the broader community and the police to try and find ways that work to try and help young people. The other work that we do is, uh, as the umbrella body, we have... Uh, if you call the mini department within the broader Southern Community Association, as a peak body, we have sub-community leadership. And those sub-community leadership, we have a lot of activities that we do to engage young people. For example, we have a lot of cultural dancing activities that are held every fortnight. We have wrestling events. And these are aimed at engaging young people within parks or within specific locations to avoid them getting into nice parts or gathering, you know, unnecessary in the CBD and causing issues, for example, you know, and it is only by providing them those sorts of engagement that you are able to obviously reduce the boredom. They come and dance, and it is a physically demanding sort of dance. By the time they finish, they go and shower. There are basketball events that are held for you would have heard of them. Uh, there are bigger tournaments held twice annually in July and in December. Uh, and we have thousands of young people who run those sorts of programs as a community. And the work we do, obviously, also involves renting, I mean, running a parenting program because part of the issues in play is uh, issues between child protection and uh, child protection empowering young people about these rights. Uh, not currently, but historically, this is a trend where young people these are our rights, but they also forget the responsibilities. And often when the parents try to approach them and tell them things, they will say, well, in this country I have a right to have this, to do this, to do that, to do this, to do that. You cannot stop me from doing it. So it is trying to empower parents and also trying to talk with the young people about their responsibilities and also empowering the parents about their rights and how they can be assertive uh, and also be, uh, well, be effectively good at parenting. We have a person who is a PhD holder and has a PhD in parenting, uh, and that is his expertise, Dr. Santina Tim, he is our student. And these are some of the things that we've done. We also have uh, you know, so- soccer competitions, which are run uh, annually, and we also have weekly club training as well. It is just that the community is broad. There are a lot of volunteers doing all what they do, yeah. Uh, we are patrolling. The patrolling that we do, we patrol on major events like Mumba, White Night, New Year's Eve, and also around areas where young people are known to come to there and cause problems like shopping centers or Ecoville Park in Tanit. And we engage with young people on the ground. And, you know, when we see them that they probably may be idling and congregating, we move them off. Some would be young people who have been released from prisons and probably may be either disengage from their communities and they are just literally on the street and would go and sleep with their mates uh, when they can. Uh, we try to work with them. You know, we spend from our own pockets by trying to support them, you know, buy them a meal, like at McDonald's or wherever. Speaking of meals, 
Speaking of meals, <laughs> you know, uh, sorry to interrupt, but that's fantastic. You've given a very, a very wide array of programs, and that's a good thing, considering that there wouldn't be much money. But speaking of meals, who, who, which politician was the one that said that Dutton? Dutton, um, Dutton was Peter Dutton was saying that people were scared to go to restaurants because Africans are following them home. Yes, and I think that is quite untrue. The Melbournians have reacted, obviously, by, I think some have gone on calling his office, telling them that, you know, I'm out at a dinner and I'm safe. Uh, there are no Africans here harassing me. Uh, and I think all of us, in fact, do go out and we don't have any issues uh, having dinner. And, and that, that obviously tells you, you know, how Dutton is obviously uh, trying to spread you know, care-mongering yeah. as yeah. a way of gaining political sympathy and, and try and get, you know, deeply entrenched white uh, community uh, who are right-wing politically to try and sympathise with his ideology. And to try to get votes, um, you know, from the in the next election. Exactly, which is not yeah. too far away. Not too far away indeed. It's all, it's all a tactic, I think. It's 4.52 and we're nearing the end of our show. And on behalf of the Doing Time Show, we'd like to thank you very much for coming on. Are there any final comments that you wanted to make? I mean, is, is there a phone number or someone that a young person or anyone who's listening, if they're having trouble, if they can, what, what number can they call or what website can they get on? We have Southwest Community Association website. It is www.sstav.com.au. There's a contact form when they fill it out for all the requests and the address or contact number or whatever issues they have. It will come to an email with an inbox. Sure. We have unfortunately temporarily removed uh, our contact numbers on the website following Peter Dutton's and uh, Malcolm Tenbull's comments. There has been significant hatred and threat uh, to oh. the community oh. volunteers. So a lot of death threat, a lot of hatred, a lot of men oh, no. And we had to remove Sorry. the contact numbers for now until obviously all of this hate and hatred subside a bit. You know, that's really quite disgusting. Um, quite disgusting indeed. Thank you so much for coming onto the show and um, I'm hoping we can have you back at some stage and maybe you can come into 3CR one day and do another interview. Thank you, that would be great. Thank you very much for offering the opportunity. Have, have a great week. Great. Keep, keep up the good work. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. And we were speaking to a representative um, from the Sudanese um, Association of Victoria, and he was speaking quite a lot about racial profiling and also looking at how we can actually stop demonising um, people. Of, um, of race and programs we can and the programs and looking at crime and putting crime in its proper perspective, isn't it? Looking at um, holistic way, holistic, of, yeah, exactly. Thank a you. Way that one way, one, one what's that word? One way, one eyed, or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we've only got about six minutes left, but Peter, I just wanted to and for, and listeners, I just wanted to um advertise the rally for the for Invasion Day and that's going to be on Jan January 26th Invasion Day 2018 we're hoping to do an Invasion Day special um, pretty soon and this particular rally is hosted by the Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance and so it's Friday 26th 11am to 12pm Parliament of Victoria Spring Street Melbourne um, Victoria Australia 3002 calling all community and supporters to stand with us on Invasion Day 2018 and um, the rally is from 11 to 12 and then after that um, you can actually go to the um, the festival there um, at, at Treasury Gardens and I believe Archie Roach and Dan Salter is playing along with other activities yeah. and just to look at the body of, of, of this um, Advert. It's got morning protests called by William Cooper, um, and bring flowers to lay on steps of Parliament. It's approximately 4:55, and um, we're going to be going out pretty soon with our um, theme song, "Black Fella, White Fella" from the Rumpy Band. But before we do that, I wanted to um, thank Robert or Rob for producing Thanks, for Rob. for um, making the phone calls. That's really important. Thank you to Peter for um, contributing to the research and organising um, the interviews. 
And um, stay tuned next Monday, every Monday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the Doing Time show. And next Monday, I just, I was thinking, well, I'm not going to be thinking, I'm going to be, we're going to be organising a special um, broadcast of what is Invasion Day and looking at um, not just about the rally, but perhaps organising some Aboriginal elders and interviewing um, relevant people about Invasion Day because, as Ken said, it's definitely connected to Aboriginal deaths in custody. This is a, um, 1788 all over again. It's an Australia-wide intervention and Invasion Day that's, um, that's coming up. Yeah. So, um, and, and if you want to um, have a look at the podcast as well, we, we podcast our show. Um, so if you miss the show tonight, you can always look at the podcast. Thanks so much. See you every Monday. Stay strong. And good, it's goodbye from Marissa. And welcome to the new year. Um, see you later. See you next see, week. See, not, see you next week. <laughs> not, not next and week. it's still summer programming. See you next week. Thank yeah, you. Bye.